You are listening to a podcast of the Fleming Foundation. We are an organization pursuing real learning, original scholarship, and thoughtful living in a dying age. Well, good afternoon or good morning or whatever time it is uh, in your part of the world when you're tuning in. This is another broadcast of Living Well as the Best Revenge. And with our regular guest, perhaps too regular for some tastes, a regular guest, Chef Garrett Fleming, the uh, chef of Il Motto restaurant in Durham, North Carolina. Welcome, Chef. Welcome. Yes. Oh, <laughs> I, oh. <laughs> I thought maybe you had died on the, uh, <laughs> the, way the, the way you had died before the program even died. Um, mm. Today we're going to be talking about uh, the cooking of lamb. Uh, we're recording this on Palm Sunday, a week before Easter, and so it's, uh, it's if we manage to get this posted up fast enough, It'll be people will be able to make use of this for cooking uh, their Easter lamb. Now, here in the beautiful Midwest where I've been living for 30 years, and also in many parts of the, the United States, people have the most bizarre habit of cooking pork roast or ham on Easter. This is something I have never been able to understand. I, I guess they have an edition of the Bible which refers to uh, the Paschal ham being offered in sacrifice for sinful humanity. But in my Bible, it reads lamb, which is why lamb has always been the dish de rigueur. I mean, there's no no other dish you could have uh, at Easter. And if you want to quarrel about this, I've got about 100, peop- 100 million people in Eastern Europe who will set you straight. Now, chef, let's start with what is a lamb, other than the obvious. <laughs> Well, a lamb is, I guess, a a sheep uh, is a uh, a ruminant a ruminant mammal. Okay, uh, it's a small it's a it's a farmland animal animal that has several stomachs. Yes, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. it divides it, it, it divides it chews the cud and divides the hoof. Therefore, it, it can be eaten. Uh, it, it's a, a favorite dish in the Old Testament, Un- unlike your favorite meat, which is pork, which does not chew the cud but divides the hoof and therefore cannot be eaten. Uh, fortunately, True. fortunately, we don't happen to belong to that particular religion. Um. The someday we should when we we've talked about pork in the past. It, one of the total myths is that uh, the this, the biblical pro, Old Testament prohibition on pork has something to do with health because trichinosis was unknown in the old world. So there is absolutely no uh, sane reason, no 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 uh, no secular. Reason. I've got I've got hours on I've got hours on the the health benefits of eating eating pig and the issues historically and how it's been misunderstood yeah. so and we'll, particularly how the Jewish tradition has yeah. taken that what, what was you know it, it, it was uh, it's comedic how they took their cues to design the dietary restrictions yeah um, but that's a but different that's a again, different show that's so, a different, that's now, a different show now the, so a, a lamb is a young is a, is a young sheep now but how young I mean we people talk about spring lambs people talk about and when I go to the supermarket in Rockford and I'll see half a leg of lamb for seven pounds, that, you know, in other words, the whole leg would be 12 to 14 pounds. 
That's a pretty big. Sh- that's a pretty big the, sheep. Well, here's um, just like in pigs. There's the there's the suckling. Then there's the shoat, which is the suckling is anything under twenty pounds. So the idea is that it's 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 literally a suckling animal. Um, then the shoat I think goes up to 55, 65 pounds. It's the mm-hmm. in betweener between a full sow. The um, the lamb is separated from usually it's lamb and mutton, but there's the in betweener called the hogget, which is the shoat of the lambs. So you could sell it as lamb, even though it's a much larger animal. I think they cut it off at a year. I haven't really found any weight, but I think after a year, a lamb's not going to weigh more than you know sixty pounds. I could be wrong. Yeah. It, could, it could weigh more, but in, in that in between, in that in between stage, it's it's called a hogget before it's a full grown mutton. Um, is there anything wrong with eating mutton? Well, um, I mean, we do it all the time, obviously, because, or at least. Um, yeah, my understanding is that uh, uh, to be a lamb, it's got to be a, a less than a year old, or a year old is the is the top. Uh, but yeah. I I don't think that uh, I don't. That's clearly not used as the criterion in buying American lamb. European lamb, if you go into a European butcher or a market, the lamb, the legs of lamb, and everything else is correspondingly much much smaller. Of course, and it's it's also pretty um, pretty pricey. Yeah. Well, yeah, all, all meat is pricey yeah. because, you know, chicken in Italy is as expensive, uh, more expensive than veal because it's uh, it's raised, chicken is, chickens are raised, they're like a serious uh, uh, meat product and uh, therefore they, 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 it's really hard to find your generic supermarket chickens. You have to go to, even in the supermarket, the chickens are considerably better than we get. So what, what, what's... Do you, the, the flavor difference, of course, between uh, lamb and mutton is that lamb is much, much milder. It's a, got a mild, sweet flavor. Mutton, right. It's the difference between beef and beef and veal. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just there's there's uh, except it's much more um, it's, it's much more intense because the minerality and the griminess and the grassiness of a lamb uh, as it turns turns into mutton becomes very uh, gamey and yeah. funky. It get, it's, uh, uh, it's a mutton. It, I'm, I know you've had mutton because I think we've eaten mutton together. And yeah. it's been, um, it's can sometimes be, it, 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 there's an intriguing aspect to it, but it's in uh, many very primal yeah. ba- basic levels. It's, it's foul. It can, a really big mutton could take, can, it tastes a lot like our Scottish Terrier Robert used to smell after he hadn't been bathed. Oh yeah, and gamey. It's got very, very, very goaty, very goaty flavor. Now, it can, mutton can also take uh, it could take a serious braising and and uh, long cooking, and it and it can stand up very well to very high seasonings like you get in the Middle East or in India, and so or or Jamaica, yeah, or Jamaica, yeah. yeah. Um. So all so. It, so really, uh, it a, a lot of this uh, a lot of this just depends on what you're doing. If you're making a lamb chop, but you know in England they eat mutton chops all the time. It it it's it's more powerful, but it, it properly done it can be good. What I don't like, my father would always complain. He grew up in a at a time when lamb was lamb, and so my mother would make something, and he'd say, "Oh, where did you find the mutton?" She said, "It's not mutton, it's lamb." He said, "No, it's not, it's mutton." 
Uh, and uh, I think half of what we eat is well on the way uh, to being mutton. What about uh, what about what do you think of uh, frozen New Zealand lamb, which is one of the more commonly available things? I've only I bought it a couple of times. What, what is I know you don't like frozen meat at all, but what, what what's your have you had frozen New Zealand lamb? Yeah, I mean it. it uh, New Zealand right now and Australia together produce uh, 92% of what's consumed in the United States as venison, as lamb, and as goat. And one of the things is New Zealand in particular has these huge, so they, and there's also this cutoff. They have this huge amount of land. And so they have these beautiful farms, which I've always wanted to, um, you know, I've seen pictures and stuff, but they have like Cervena farms is a big one. Um, where it's, you know, 20,000 acres. And so these animals are allowed to roam free, uh, which is not like the United States where we raise animals. And the yeah. reason that people don't kind of focus on this is because we don't have the land. It's never going to make sense financially when you can raise pork and beef and chicken in relatively confined spaces. These people are raising these animals in, in maybe not natural habitats, but but approximating natural habitats. Um, so depending on the company, because it's not like they're less cynical in New Zealand just because they speak funny, um, they're actually very, you know, like they're still there to make money. And there are companies where you get an inferior product because they're pack raising these, these animals. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of, a lot of the best products are coming from in the United States, goat, lamb, and, uh, venison, you have essentially California or bust. And by bust, it means New Zealand or – or there's also a place in Colorado. Colorado is excellent lamb and goat. Uh, but unless you know a local farmer and you're going to be buying it at the grocery store, New Zealand's a solid, solid bet for getting something that's not, you know, yeah, uh, not mutton. So uh, – but it's um, – but, but do they sell it fresh or just frozen? I've, I purchased it fresh, but I don't know if that's yeah. something the grocery stores sell or not. Do you think? Do you think the freezing yep. uh, the fr- freezing is a deal breaker? I mean, that is that you wouldn't if it was good New Zealand lamb frozen and mediocre American lamb fresh. Which would you pick? Um, I mean, it depends on the cut. If you're talking, yeah. talking shanks, it doesn't matter. Yeah. If you're talking a leg, it doesn't matter. Okay. If you're well, talking good. chops, yeah. yeah. No, probably. I not m- most of the lamb we buy. We well, we do we do lamb chops occasionally, but uh, today we're talking. We're although we're going to be talking about lamb in general, we're going to be focusing on the Easter lamb, which is a roast lamb. So we have carte blanche. I was thinking this year about breaking with cu- with our custom, and your your mother pointed out that New Zealand lamb tends to be much smaller. That when she sees it frozen in the store, well, they, fo- they yeah. follow guidelines. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. So they yeah. they do. Uh, you're not getting it Valley Produce and buying a mutton. You know, on, wow, that's a great deal on lamb, and then getting these huge cuts. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I've it, seen yeah. huge. I've seen a half a leg of lamb bigger than a leg than a whole leg of lamb should be at stores like uh, Valley, which is a Chicago area chain. Interesting chain, interesting stuff. Lots of ethnic food, but great uh, produce. Yeah, great produce, but not always very. They don't. They. Uh, I finally figured out that what they have is they have some illegal Mexicans in the butch 
the butcher department with chainsaws getting drunk and going wild. Because the parts that they yeah, cut things into, pretty weird. it's their very bizarre. And at first I thought, well, maybe this is Latin American uh, cuts. No, no, it's just it's just completely capricious. It's, you know, I caramba and they go at it. The... Um, no, I having said that, I mean, my one of my favorite butchers in uh, town is a very distinguished uh, uh, Mexican butcher up at uh, at Gray's IGA. Very helpful, very accommodating. Seems to to know what he's doing. So no ethnic slurs today. Now let's uh, uh, let's talk about um, there. We're talking about a leg of lamb. What what are our op- options for uh, for cooking it? I mean, my well, grand- you're talking yeah. you're talking the back leg, I assume, yeah. and not the front leg, right? Uh, Front legs are just like all animals um, are used a little bit more drastically. That's why they're not prized for prosciutto. It's because the back legs takes the weight, and it's just a different intramuscular yeah. kind of connection. Um, whereas the front ones move. There's much more mobility to them on four-footed animals. Uh, it's just like we use our arms in a much more dexterous yeah. way than we do our legs. Uh, that being said. Um, you know, if you're talking about the back leg, it, if you're talking about a spring lamb or a really, you know, nice lamb, yeah. then you can go for the medium, medium rare lamb. Yeah. So, it, yeah. Do you, um, I mean, I've, I've been cooking, I, I roasted my first lamb when I was, I think, about 18 years old. I've been, I've been. Really? That's yeah. very ambitious. Well, my mother, my mother made lamb, so roasted lamb several times a year, and I think it was the one thing I'd watch her do. And uh, and in graduate school, I shared a house with a Greek from uh, from Larissa, and uh, he uh, he you know he we would make we would make roast, roast lamb together. So I've been I've made a lot of lamb in a lot of different styles, and I've made it in a, a lot of different uh, methods. My grandmother once invited my parents over for dinner. My father had gone out to a special butcher shop. This is in California, and bought some exquisite lamb—a leg of lamb, very beautiful. And when they came to dinner, she had decided, "Oh well, what the heck?" She boiled it. Ugh. You can't. <laughs> so you can't you, silly. To his dying day, my father remembered how how, how his mother-in-law had had ruined this beautiful piece of meat. But I've had something worse than that. Once in, uh, in I think it was in Bosnia, they had smoked a lamb, and then uh-huh. they boiled it. And it was foul. I mean, boiled smoked lamb does not taste good. Yeah, I've had, I, I have not had a lot of success. Um, so there's the jerk preparation where you essentially take like a, a cane rum and some turbinado sugar or some, or some very like, some very pure sugar and you mix it with lime juice and allspice and clove and nutmeg and chilies, usually the very spicy variety, scotch bonnets. And you make a, a, a marinade for it, and then you smoke very gamey meats like lamb or goat. And in that preparation, the, you need the heat and the warmth and comfort of the, uh, of the savory to combat against the gaminess. If you don't, and you're just smoking, if you're smoking willy nilly with the game meats, you have to. Uh, it oftentimes becomes inedible because it's you're 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 giving something, you're you're accentuating its gaminess with something that's that's uh, it's not contr- 
crash thing that gaming is. It's not like acid. Smoke is yeah. a very uh, it's a very delicate thing to. What are the biggest things that are smoked? Pork. Yeah. You know, one of the cleanest palate. You know, cleanest on the palate proteins. Uh, chickens. You know, like yeah. not the gamier the meat, the the more problems and the more issues there are. To although, smoke. although I have to say, the best the best things I've ever smoked are duck. Oh, that's that's an in betweener. Yeah. That's an outlier. That's yeah. a really beautiful, beautiful, <laughs> beautiful thing. We sometimes have smoked what they call uh, the mature duck, which are, which is pretty tough. It takes long cooking. There's a name for that, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, uh, I can't. I, I yeah, don't know. I don't remember, old, yeah. They on the on the package it'll say mature duck, and your mother will sometimes make the mistake of buying it because you can't just roast it it's 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 like buying a farmyard animal uh, 50 years ago you got to smoke or braise it yeah, yeah. and the smoke yeah. and it takes the smoke it, it smokes a much longer time but then it's melted in your mouth it's but getting away from smoked duck so you can uh, for basically for for somebody who has never cooked lamb before you're basically it's you're going to be roasting it in the oven or if you have a spit roasting capacity you can spit roast it we will soon be installing that spit roast you gave us in, a, in an outdoor fire pit. Um, I'm disappointed you haven't done it. It's, well, I, uh, I, pretty... you're, you're a worthless brother and and almost equally worthless brother-in-law. All they have to do is build me my fire pit, and then. Uh, but I'm told my birthday is coming, uh, so that uh, that they owe me this. But. And there's also um, a method which I was talking to you earlier about, which you haven't done, but I have done many times. I think you might have had it here at the house once or twice. I get, I get a leg of lamb, and I found, by the way, that the frozen New Zealand lamb is wonderful in this, and uh, you butterfly it. That is, you, you cut, cut, cut around the bone, and you, you remove the all of the bone from the, the lamb, and then you sort of try to flatten it out, and there's going to be a very fat part, a very big part, and a very thin part, and you cut deep gashes, like an inch deep, into the fat part to expose it to, to the cooking. And then on a moderate to low fire, I like a wood fire for this much more than charcoal, uh, because it uh, it doesn't it doesn't tend to burn as much. Uh, you can you can you can cook your lamb, and you can treat it any way. Although I advise against using fresh herbs. But I once I used to marinate it in wine, and I hate I blush to admit this wine and soy sauce, and uh, and tarragon. You're matching the game. You're matching yeah. the game, though. So like you have to you have to bring something to it. Yeah. Uh, and when you mean fresh herbs, you don't mean uh, it, I, this is a distinction that I've often found myself at a loss for words. To explain, but you don't mean you, you you would use things that are oil-based herbs like rosemary yes, yes. or oregano because yes. when they burn, because when they burn, they taste water-based. No, like no, water-based herbs like parsley, no. basil, no. tarragon. Yeah, exactly, yes. exactly. Yeah. You don't want the you you don't want the fiends herb, which are mostly yes, yes, uh, yes. very water-based. So uh, yes, good, good, good point. But uh, but or, or you know, and, and of course there are, are dozens of different ways ethnically of uh, you know that they that they would uh, roast or or. But grilling the lamb like that, because you get the, a little uh, some char on the outside. I grill it to, to just a decent medium rare, and it uh, 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 it doesn't matter even how crummy the lamb was you started with because it ends up being wonderful. And I'm tempted to do that. 
uh, this Easter, except I have another plan, which we'll talk about later, which is to do a Greco, an, an, an ancient style lamb. Okay, now in the oven, in the oven, there are, you look, if you look at five cookbooks, they'll give you five different, basically, setting, uh, settings for the oven. I always, I, I, I have tried cooking it uh, slow and, uh, you know, not really low, but like 325. I don't like the effect. I like to, I like to brown it initially at something like 450 and then turn it down to about 350. And because um, I like I, the modern, even even fairly old lamb today is so tender. It's not like it's, they haven't been running up and down mountainsides. Yeah, you're not getting a. It's yeah. a different animal. Yeah. yeah. So the result is that the, the 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 concerns people used to have about like cooking a turkey and you'd have to cook it for hours and slowly none of, or and you didn't want to brown it to at too high a temperature because it would get tough. None of that seems to me a concern today for the kind of uh, the kind of food you're going to get. So then I would I, I would just follow a, a, somebody's recipe uh, for that. But but I really do think uh, browning at a at a high temperature and then cooking at a at a medium temperature after. What when you I, I know you're not a big uh, cooker of roast lamb, but what 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 sort of temperatures would you use? I would well uh, simple. Uh, I would want to sear it up front, which is a little uh, the the kind of the very hip way to cook proteins now is to to uh, to sous vide and then then sear afterwards, yeah. which makes sense on paper, and it actually makes sense when you eat it. But I, I, I'm never going to get away from from old school cooking and that would be to sear it in a pan yeah because you're going to get 600 700 degrees in that pan yeah you're not going to get that in the oven and no. you're going to cook the exterior too much when you use your oven like that because it's going to go it's going to inch down closer to the flesh the slower the longer it takes so sear it in a hot pan with oil i just do you need a bi- you need that. a big you need a big pan of course, you need. Bacon. I've got yes. a huge. Uh, I've got a huge uh, cast iron Dutch oven, which we never cook anything in. And I bet oh that yeah, would work. you could do it. You could absolutely do yeah. that. Yeah, that thing and weighs I about would, fifty pounds. But yeah, and I would do uh, uh, the Heston Blumenthal uh, method, which is where you 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 extricate any of the salt involved. You would season it with your black pepper only, mm-hmm. essentially, because salt pulls moisture out yeah. and that disallows from searing at the level that you want because it's going to pull moisture to the exterior of the meat you're going to, it's going to take longer time to cook because you have to evaporate the liquid that the salt's pulled out so just black pepper you don't want to burn any of your garlic or your rosemary so black pepper sear it until you have that nice mahogany tostado and then i would rub it down very very liberally with salt maybe some garlic some rosemary whatever you want to do and then at that point i would go 275 in the oven i mean if you're cooking a leg of lamb you got time you should have time oh yeah and if you got time the best way to do it is the lower is the better because you're going to have a more even cooking and it's going to come up and it's just going to be a brilliant flash of perfectly cooked meat when you cut into it and I would pull it out at, I mean, you want medium rare, you're going to pull it out at, uh, well, 130, 135, yeah. so it carries over, uh, 135, 138. And you want to check it right at the bone, if you're doing it in the bone, or the fattest part of the cut. And then if it's a full leg of lamb, 
you would want it to be um, you'd want to rest it for twenty almost twenty minutes. Good. Now let's talk about the you were we both like it cooked medium rare, and yeah. uh, and that I off the top of my head. The only major cuisine in which people will cook lamb to that to that uh, point is the are the French. Yeah, now, the, the English cook it until it's done until it's done they and cook tasteless. The shit out of it. Yeah, and then and then of course then they put <laughs> they, the mint sauce, cross and Blackwell's mint sauce they buy in a bottle. If you yeah, we ate that. Mom made that all the time. I remember. I didn't understand. I think, I think I get it more. I think I understand why it was an offering yeah. now. I didn't understand it as an offering when we first when when I when I was a child and eating. I was, what is this mint jelly? That's it, mint yeah, jelly. Yeah, mint jelly. Uh, now I will say this: I've I, uh, I I pushed your mother. She likes mint sauce, but it doesn't go with certain kinds of lamb. But if it, a French or English style, but we got a garden full of mint, so I yeah. make a, a kind of high vinegar with some sugar and and mint. And uh, with the leaves, and I don't even strain it. I just, you know, sort of, so you can pour it on, on the meat and you get this wonderful, fresh t- test of fresh mint sort of cutting against the gaminess and the fat that is forming on the roof of your mouth as you're, as you're eating lamb. So, well, that, I, yeah. We did a slow, I mean, we, we have on our menu right now the, uh, our, our obnoxiously called uh, lamb gyro. <laughs> Uh, which we correct everybody when they say, "Oh, you mean a hero?" I'm like, "No, no, 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 no. just, no, just, just it's, wait, 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 wait. It's Remember, gyra. no, it's it's a singular <laughs> noun in Greek, so it's gyros, one, Yiros. one gyros, <laughs> two gyri. So gyros, oh, okay. that that was so gyros is actually one, the one, singular, one, yeah. So it's it's two two gyri, but one gyros. So uh, so we, we we have a sauce which I'm trying to which we cook we comb feed them and then we roast them so they're crispy that's again in preparation where it's super tender because you broke it down yeah. everything and then it gets crispy but uh, in the south of France they have a sauce which predates pesto hmm. um, called pistou oh and yeah the name actually etymologically predates it and it was when it got to Genoa. That it it started taking on different things, but then it was just nuts and herbs. Yeah, they didn't have the parmesan that they were adding to it. Uh, but that, if you add the mint, one it stays. Mint has the highest amount of chloro, uh, chlorophyll of any of the uh, the herbs. Any of the uh, the the what are the the anisette herbs? Well, actually, yeah. any of the herbs. Yeah. Um, and because of that, that's why oftentimes you add mint to sauces to keep them very bright. Yeah. Um, but it also has some nice flavor. Uh, but if you make a mint pish stew, I think it's got a hard, hard enunciation on the end. Yeah. Uh, you can, it, it, it's very much like a pesto, just minus any of the cheese. It's, uh, it's, it's very delicious with lamb. And that's when, that was the first time that I thought, oh, okay, I, I get yeah. the mint jelly thing. Yeah. I just think there's different ways to get there that does, that yeah. you don't need all the sugar. No, you don't. You don't need, need sugar with eating no, lamb. No, no. Yeah. Now, having having uh, so we've been talking uh, largely about the French style. However, um, I here, as you know, I, I'm a purist. I believe cook it cook it in one ethnic tradition or another. Well, in lamb, I cheat. I because I like the way they cook lamb in the Balkans and the Middle East. I just don't like as long as they cook it. 
Now, if you just take something like uh, like uh, the Greeks, or if you go a little bit further e east, what you do then, you don't have to worry about burning your garlic because you've poked the lamb, you slashed it with not thin, a long, thin-bladed knife, like a I don't know, fillet knife, and you into the hole, into each hole, uh, you stick uh, chopped garlic and and rosemary and pepper. And so, and you work all the way around, and of course, at the lab, there'll be little corners and pockets on the surface you could stick it in. And uh, and then, I I haven't done this before, but I will now do it. Then after you brown it, then, then I, then I'll, then I can add the, the rose, the, the, uh, the surface, because having a, a really herby crust on the lab is quite delicious, and it doesn't really ruin the inside. So you could use a huge amount of garlic and rosemary and, and rub it with oil on the outside. The Greek, Greeks like uh, the two things they most like uh, in, in talking to Greeks, they like um, lemon juice as a finisher, and and that means also you can put lemon zest into the holes you've 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 oh, uh, yeah. you've poked all over. So you got lemon zest and garlic and 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 black pepper all around, and then you finish it with. With uh, with uh, lemon juice and oil before uh, before you brown it, and and one of the things that of course the Greeks love the flavor of lemon. That's almost their favorite flavor, like the yep. like the avgolimono uh, sauce that they stick on everything. So as a result, uh, though, you, so that you, when you have the uh, when you make a little sauce, I don't make a gravy, but you know you clean clean it up and uh, and deglaze. Then it's got, it's got a nice little lemon undertaste, which again really is stay, you know sort of cuts the some of the gaminess uh, out out of the uh, the lamb the sensation of the mouth. Now the one of the uh, one one of the best lambs I've ever had is was in my view overcooked. So one of the in in uh, in the mountains of the Balkans, especially in Montenegro and Bosnia. They, uh, they, they don't do anything but salt and pepper. No garlic, no herbs, no nothing. But they're, they're these very small young lambs, which they typically spit roast, or they certainly roast over an open fire, they have been living on wild thyme on the hillsides. And so that's in, they're, 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 and so they're, they are, they're, they're raised with uh, their diet is very high in thyme and other mountain herbs. And as a result, it, it's, it's pointless to, to try to flavor them because the natural flavor of the flavor of the flesh is so delicious. We're not well, that's that's yeah. the way to do it if you can do it. Yeah. But but we're, we're, we're not, <laughs> who's, raising, who's raising lambs I'm, on mountaintops yeah. eating wild thyme? <laughs> well, that's why you, you keep on postponing. That's why I keep on telling you we should go on a, an eating tour of the Balkans. Yeah, uh, have you talked to Sergio about it? Yeah, he's wildly in favor. He just says give give him a couple of months uh, advance, and he knows uh, he knows chefs in uh, in uh, Belgrade itself, and uh, but but even in a small small country like that, or like the former Yugoslavia, if you go a hundred miles, sometimes the culinary style changes. So Belgrade cooking has a lot of affinities with uh, with Hungarian cooking. Whereas over on the coast, it starts turning almost Italian. You go far to the north, it gets more Austrian. But uh, but really, uh, of course, roasting meat is the is the is the centerpiece of the of the Balkan diet, and they alternate between uh, 
between uh, pork and, uh, and lamb being their two favorite foods. <clears throat> now, in the Middle East, have you ever had any uh, Middle Eastern lamb? Turkish, Syrian? You yes. Know. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you were... You were uh, chastising me for doing birani uh, <laughs> yesterday. Well, it's pa- it was it was Palm Sunday. It was, it was the day before Palm Sunday, and you're making Muslim Pakistani lamb. I thought that was that was a disgrace. Well, I did. I I was again bastardizing all sorts of things. So I did a jerk. I actually was smoking the lamb in a, in a, uh, a Jamaican style. So we 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 jerk smoked the lamb. And I did shanks, and then uh, I made served with it a oh you're gonna love this or by, by love I mean hate we <laughs> served it with a a uh, a lamb birani where I just used the stock from the bones to make the birani which is again I give it I I I, I have to give it to that style of rice it's the most elegant rice basmati rice yeah. is the most it's it's so elegant there's no other word for it uh, and when you can you know. Season it lightly and subtly. A birani is 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 uh, I, over the risotto or over anything. Uh, it's a, it's the best rice dish. You're a, it's you're got to be the best. You're rice a barbarian. Dish. You know you need. Okay. You need, <laughs> yeah. what, 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 I do. I do have history on my side here. Why don't you just do chug a bottle of Tabasco sauce and get it over? Get it over. That's with. not fair. That's not fair. The birani outlasts the ris- the risotto. It, it, it out exists the risotto. Well, so yeah, so so does so does incest and murder. Out, you know, they they've Very been around, they've been Very with difficult. us from the beginning. You know, it's it's uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well uh, it's, it's, yeah. To, to go back to the go back to uh, the 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 more the people who are more closely related to us culinarily because they're heirs to the Greek and Roman and uh, and uh, a- antiquity. Um, I've I've got to, I used to have a cookbook. I think I still have it. She's a, a Syrian lady, I think, uh, named Helen Corey. And although I think Syrian and Lebanese food are pretty hard to distinguish for me, but um, she uses she does it sort of in the Balkan style. That is, and cooks. Browns it very high heat to begin with, and then cooks it slower. But she and but in the mix of things, she she flavors it with things like uh, ginger and cumin, as well as garlic and herbs. And I don't like to do that very often, but you know, about one out of ten times, it's really it's really quite delicious to uh, to to give it that mixture of of flavors. And uh, the Turks, of course. We'll use just about anything, including uh, sumac powder, in uh, in flavoring uh, their meat. You but, you mentioned didn't didn't you get some sumac? Oh yeah. in Southern Illinois a while a while ago. We, uh, I, I've never cooked with it. But we I, were I, in I, a we, we go to a, a a little a little dump in uh, in Bloomington, Illinois, where there's a Turkish restaurant, and uh, the people are very nice and. They ha- they have the least expensive good food I think I've eaten in, in twenty years, and uh, they, but they co- they they serve their little flatbread their little funny Turkish pita to begin with, and they serve it with a little with olive oil that's infused with uh, this red sumac powder, and uh, it adds a very it's a it's a delightful experience. And then we so we started asking what else can you do, and it turns out that even among the even in the the Greeks, especially the Greeks on the islands, they cook with sumac, 
and uh, and you can buy it. We we've bought a huge amount. Now we don't know what to do with it. But I cooked. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so we can. It's a strange thing to be sitting on. Yeah, uh, our, yeah. yes, we uh, we've cornered the Rockford uh, supply of uh, of sumac powder. But the, the, the combination, one of the nice things, and we've talked about this before, one of the nice things is that if you go from southern France to, say, Sicily and Sardinia, where they cook a lot of lamb, and you go over to Greece, you go up to Serbia and Bulgaria, over to Turkey and down toward Egypt, you'll see, although the food, the spices change, a lot of the, a, 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 you, there's, a, there's a sense of continuity. You know, that one as one cuisine merges into the other. So I didn't realize that the Greeks used a lot of sumac, just 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 for example. And uh, it, 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 there's a lot of, you know, like um, Greek and Turkish food are, and they they transition to sort of northern Slavic food, like in like in uh, Serbia and the Balkans. And, and you you know, it, 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 you can go if you were a, a culinary traveler. Going going around the Mediterranean, you'd see these these uh, these uh, overlaps and consinities. What I don't like is calling it Mediterranean food because what we're really dealing with is we're dealing with cultures that are successor to the Roman Empire. So we're dealing with with uh, Greek and Roman food uh, as it's been come expressed in different in different ethnicities. But, you know, and we're going to talk about this in many future episodes, but, uh, you know, there are today, in all parts of Italy, there are recipes that you could, that, that were, that, that sound like they're word for word what was being cooked in, during the Roman Empire. In fact, uh, tonight I'm making a flatbread, remarkably like a thin focaccia, very thin, but it's uh, called Arto Laganon. It means uh, sort of a wafer, wafer bread. And it's really like a, like a pizza dough. And then they work into it some lard and oil and white wine and pepper. And, you know, you'll use it uh, for, as a, for, for a snack or, or, or put a spread on it. But, I mean, it's, this, is, this is something they would understand very well all over Italy. But it was something that the, the Greeks were cooking 2,500 years ago. A long time ago. Yeah, but for me, it's like yesterday. Somebody, mm. somebody wrote into our website, and and because I was talking about the our the tendency of Donald Trump to to sort of morph into Julius Caesar, although a very low class Julius Caesar. So somebody wrote in, well, you remember that conference of the big three at Luca? Well, actually, that was slightly before I was born, since it was like I don't know fifty BC, sixty BC. So <laughs> I missed it. I missed it. I, 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 my train was late. So now, anything? Um, what else do we want to say about lamb today? Any special? Any uh, getting away from roast lamb? You didn't. You used to make. Was it a Turkish dish that was like a? Oh, lamb monte. Yeah, big fan of lamb monte. Which allows uh, it's a it's an, a dumpling that much like many things in that area of the world has been claimed by every every country. I think Turkey and Greece have the strongest claims to it, but clearly they're um, that that is I mean that is a, such a delicious dish. It's uh, where you mince lamb and you sweat some onion with some. What is it? Rosemary and sage. 
and a little olive oil, and then you hit it with a little salt and black pepper, and then you cool it and you mix it with uh, minced by hand or ground lamb, parsley, mint, and you make a um, you make kind of a stuffing, and then you stuff it into essentially fresh pasta, and then you serve it with yogurt and browned butter and herbs, and it's uh, it's so simple, but it's so delicious. Yeah. And, very very you know, nothing very old nothing no 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 nothing special about the pasta when you when you've made it it seemed to me the pasta dough was fairly thick is that is that am I right? it is it, i mean it's if you're if you're trying to make it when i when i served in a restaurant i clearly try and more, more uh emulate classic pasta even though it's not a pasta yeah. it's a dumpling yeah. um but uh it is it is oftentimes uh it's a, it's relatively thick pasta uh, yeah. Jose Andreas, or, or I mean, dumpling batter, or whatever you'd refer to it as. But it, even traditionally, it is. It is when you look at it, it's flour and eggs and water. Uh, it is essentially a pasta dough, but yeah. they're, they're, they're served relatively thick. Yeah. Um, but when they're nice, and if you're serving in a restaurant, you want to make it nice. You know, I've I've run. A, I've been I've been doing a lot of reading lately in ancient uh, food writers and. Uh, Think savory dumplings like that, which I, I tend to think of as Chinese, but no, no, no. The the ancient world is full of these kinds of dishes, and they're they're uh, they're very fond of of different. What we would they, they didn't make spaghetti, but they certainly they liked uh, they liked very using bread dough, which is all it is really in a uh, without yeast in a, in a variety of ways including making it into ribbons and cooking it in a soup and all there are all sorts of different things but yeah savory dumplings have a long history mm. well on this note i want to i uh, i was going to uh, get out my harmonica and play welcome happy morning which is uh, sir arthur sullivan's uh, uh, take on a on one of the oldest christian hymns but i think maybe i'll be kind and sp- and spare our listeners <laughs> That's probably a good call. Yeah. So we, I'll bid fond farewell, and that's an end to another episode of The Best Revenge. I hope that you all live well and reap the best revenge you can. Thank you for listening to a podcast of the Fleming Foundation. All rights are reserved. These podcasts are made possible by our paid members who ensure that our hosts and writers can contribute regularly, not on a volunteer basis. If you have any questions about anything you heard on today's episode, or if you wish to acquire rebroadcast rights, please email podcasts at fleming.foundation. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at the Foundation, make the most of a dark age.